stop drafting injured players. I repeat, stop drafting injured players. Why draft an injured player when you can draft a healthy player? <laughs> Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You draft healthy players. Players that are able to practice throughout training camp and participate in preseason. You draft those players. This is why we didn't draft Odell Beckham Jr. last season and sidestepped that pitfall. And it's why I'm not drafting Doug Baldwin this season. And it's heartbreaking. Of all the players who deserve to be set up to lead the league in targets and receptions and be a wide receiver one in fantasy football, does he not deserve it? Has he not persevered through enough in this sport? Undersized, unappreciated, undrafted. Finally breaks out at age 26. We love the Doug Baldwin story. And the Seattle Seahawks are a league leader heading into this season in vacated targets. Setting up Doug Baldwin to have one of the signature volume-fueled monster seasons out of the slot in Seattle. And it's not going to happen because I think the knee injury is serious. As soon as the coach feels the need to come out and address the media and the fan base to reassure them, hey, this player is going to be out there in week one. If the coach is out there making these statements at the end of July, that player is in trouble. So I am not rostering Doug Baldwin in the early rounds. And don't be surprised when his ADP goes into free fall in the weeks ahead because high-stakes players think like I do when evaluating injured players. Just look at how long Rashard Matthews lasted in the Pros versus Joes draft that I recently participated in through the FFPC. The FFPC, incidentally, is a friend of the underworld because if you sign up for the all-in package on playerprofiler.com, that's the rankings, that's the draft kit, that's the data analysis tool, you get free entry in an FFPC best ball league. That's right, just a free roll. You're welcome. And this particular Pros versus Joes group in which I was drafting, was a murderer's row. A murderer's row, not a murder of crows, because a group of crows is called a murder. Keep them coming, minions. RotoUnderworld at gmail.com. Interesting names for groups of animals. Murder of crows. Good one. So I was drafting against Jared Samola from Draft Sharks. Ooh, a shark. John Paulson from 4 for 4. Brandon Lee from Her Fantasy Football. Mike Beers from the Best Ball Command Center. Jason Moore from the Fantasy Footballers. I mean, it was a challenge. And I started off hot, pushing the button on Ezekiel Elliott in the three-hole over David Johnson in PPR. Oh, yeah. And as I read off my draft picks, I know what you're thinking. Oh, well... Some of these draft picks do not align with the draft kit rankings. Fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com. Learn all about our draft kit. And our cheat sheet has been designed for you to select players right off the cheat sheet as you draft. Just pluck the next player available. That's how we design the cheat sheet. That's why the quarterbacks in particular are pushed so much lower than you'll find in other ranking services and on other cheat sheets in the industry. Again, you're welcome. And the cheat sheets feature not only written and video analysis of players, we project their carries, their yards, their touchdowns, their fantasy points in standard, in half PPR, in PPR. And those projections are courtesy of one Peter Howard, a name you all need to know. Again, 
You're welcome. But I did not follow the cheat sheet exactly. Why? Because this pros versus Joes is draft master. It's not a traditional league. It's not a league where you can make free agent pickups. If a player flames out, you can't replace him. We've talked about this with Mike Beers. We've talked about this with Josh Hornsby. These are best ball experts, and they agree. The most important aspect of a best ball league is not the best ball component. It's not the idea that your lineup is automatically set and optimized. It's the idea that you can't go to the waiver wire and pick up a new player if you need one. So you need to make your picks count. That's the most important tenant. The single rule of thumb you need to hold dear when drafting in a draft master best ball scenario. You need to make your picks count. In the early rounds, put less of a premium on upside and more of a premium on stability on the high floor players. And it's hard to find a higher floor player than Ezekiel Elliott, given his role in that Dallas Cowboys offense behind one of the league's best run-blocking offensive lines. They were not an elite run-blocking unit last year because the line deteriorated and collapsed. But we talked to Marcus Mosier, who covers the Cowboys, and he has affirmed that the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is back. And if the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is back, and we haven't heard a thing about Ezekiel Elliott all offseason, which is how we want it. We don't want to hear the name Ezekiel Elliott in the offseason. The less I see the name Ezekiel Elliott in the news in the offseason, the better. I haven't seen his name once, and I love it! That tells me his floor is higher than David Johnson, who is operating on a significantly less effective offense, likely captained by a rookie quarterback for the majority of the season behind a substandard offensive line. So if your line is not opening up holes to run through, and the overall efficiency of the offense is degraded by inexperienced quarterback play, then by definition, the running back on that roster can't possibly have a high floor. It's not possible. It's not possible. Does David Johnson have a higher ceiling than Ezekiel Elliott? Absolutely. Because he's a much better receiver. And when you catch the ball out in space, it's easier to deliver a splash play. Just ask Alvin Kamara, and you'll see plenty from Saquon Barkley this season. So I drafted Ezekiel Elliott. Mike Beers, out of the nine slot, drafted DeAndre Hopkins. Then he went Julio Jones. I went A.J. Green. Then at the 303, I took Jordan Howard and immediately received a direct message from Mike Beers cursing me, calling me a sniper. Yeah, I drafted Jordan Howard. I don't like Jordan Howard at all, but this is fantasy football. This isn't pick my favorite player. Fantasy football is not pick my favorite player game. I don't like Jordan Howard. Happy to have him on a draft master best ball roster. Would you prefer I drafted Mike Evans? <laughs> Jordan Howard has a high floor and a low ceiling, and I'm happy to have that player on a roster for which I cannot access the waiver wire at any point in time during the season. Mike Beers drafted Darius Geis in the third round, and on the way back around, he took Rashad Penny. So Mike Beers is the best of the experts that I drafted with, and he won the league last season. He'll probably win it again. That's why I'm juxtaposing my picks with Mike Beers. So he went Hopkins, Jones, Geis, Penny. I went Elliott, Green, Howard, and then Lamar Miller in the fourth round. And he was mad about that one too! Woohoo! Anytime Mike Beers is DMing you in all caps, just furious that you're selecting players that he was relying on picking, you're doing it right. 
After Lamar Miller, I drafted Kyle Rudolph in the fifth round in a tight end premium format, 1.5 PPR for tight ends. So happy to cash in on Kyle Rudolph after Delaney Walker was drafted. In the tight end premium format, it's all about getting Olsen, Walker, or Rudolph. Rudolph, Walker, or Olsen. These are tight ends that have consistently finished in the top five tight end target share. Two years ago, Kyle Rudolph led all NFL tight ends in targets. You may have forgotten. I did. I looked it up. Wow, Kyle Rudolph. 132 targets, over eight targets a game in 2016. Think about it. He's 28 years old, and I was able to draft him in the fifth round in a tight end premium league. I am winning. Mike Beers went Evan Ingram, which I disagreed with. He then drafted Alshon Jeffrey on the way back around. I drafted Jamal Williams. And then at the 703, Marlon Mack. It was a difficult decision to go Mack or Williams. I drafted Williams thinking that Williams had more brand equity than Mack, that he would have been more likely to be drafted in those four picks between my next pick. So I drafted Williams and then Marlon Mack was there. Five running backs, one receiver, one tight end through seven picks. Mike Beers did a very Mike Beers thing drafting Marshawn Lynch. I was considering Jamal Williams, Marlon Mack, and of course, Marshawn Lynch at those two picks. I got two of those guys. Mike Beers got the other guy because, of course. Between Marlon Mack and Marshawn Lynch, a running back named Chris Thompson was drafted. And Chris Thompson has volunteered to the public that he's not healthy in training camp. Even though he was cleared and he did not land on the PUP list, so he is physically able to perform, according to Washington management, he himself disagrees with that and has claimed that he will not be fully healthy until November. So why the fuck are you drafting that running back before Marshawn Lynch, Isaiah Crowell, Duke Johnson, and Giovanni Bernard? I don't know! After all these receivers are off the board, all these running backs, tight ends, not many quarterbacks, we get to my eighth round pick. Late in the eighth round, Devin Funches is still available. Why? Because I'm the only fantasy gamer on planet Earth that believes Devin Funches is good. And then on the way back around, O.J. Howard. Why? Tight end premium. And we love O.J. Howard. In the meantime, Mike Beers had selected Tom Brady and C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson, another high floor, low ceiling running back that you need in a draft master format. Nobody should want Jordan Howard or C.J. Anderson on their team, but these are the players you need. You don't want them, you need them in a draft master format. Mike Beers knows what he's doing, so mirror Mike Beers. You don't need to mirror Mike Beers in the players that you're selecting. Mirror Mike Beers in roster construction methodology. So much emphasis on player valuation, not enough emphasis on the optimal roster configuration. The most popular fantasy football article of all time is Sean Siegel's Zero RB and the Myth of Value-Based Drafting. Now, value-based drafting is not a myth. Value-based drafting has varying levels of effectiveness depending on the league format. You can win a traditional fantasy football league with value-based drafting. We're going to talk to one of the best value-based drafters I've ever seen, Mike Brody, 
from Apex Fantasy today. I never know which direction Mike Brody's going to go in any given round. He zigs when I think he's going to zag. He zags when I think he's going to zig. And he's always in the playoffs in expert leagues. So I am very much looking forward to diving into the brain of Mike Brody and understanding his process. But zero running back and drafting based on value is less effective in a Draftmaster best ball format. In that format, roster construction is paramount. This was discussed with Mike Beers at length and confirmed by Josh Hornsby, two of the most well-respected minds in the fantasy football community who focus on best ball leagues. Which brings me to the areas of this pros versus Joes draft where I aired. So to recap, rounds 1 through 10, Ezekiel Elliott, A.J. Green, Jordan Howard, Lamar Miller, Kyle Rudolph, Jamal Williams, Marlon Mack, Devin Funches, O.J. Howard, Giovanni Bernard for the Podfather. For Mike Beers, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Darius Geis, Rashad Penny, Evan Ingram, Alshon Jeffrey, Marshawn Lynch, Tom Brady, C.J. Anderson, Charles Clay. I encouraged him to draft Charles Clay for all the reasons we've talked about thus far. A high-floor player in a format where you can't afford to take a zero at the tight end position. But the Charles Clay pick was also informed by Mike Beer's preferred roster construction. In a deep draft master best ball league, Mike Beers does not want to draft four tight ends, even though a lot of fantasy gamers draft four tight ends in a tight end premium, in a deep tight end premium format. I did. I'm raising my hand. I did. With Kyle Rudolph and OJ Howard already holstered, my next 10 picks were Ben Roethlisberger, Derek Carr, Mitchell Trubisky, Jordy Nelson, Tyrell Williams, John Brown, Ed Dixon, Matt Prater, Christian Kirk, Dustin Hopkins, and Cody Parkey. And with my final eight picks, which I'll get to in a moment, I drafted yet another tight end. So I ended up with four tight ends. But that wasn't my first mistake, drafting four tight ends. I should have drafted three tight ends with reliable opportunity shares like Mike Beers did, which affords me the luxury of drafting more upside wide receivers that can pop in any given week. Mike Beers' philosophy in best ball leagues is you want to construct your roster so that you can maximize the number of wide receiver slots that you can reserve in the later rounds for these inexpensive upside plays that can pop on any given week. You want the high volatility splash play wide receivers that are available even in the final rounds of drafts. Mike Beers and I both took advantage of this, but he did a better job optimizing his roster than I did. Because my first mistake was in round 11, I auto-drafted Ben Roethlisberger. I started doing something else. I can't believe it. There was one auto-draft in this entire group. 12 fantasy gamers, 28 rounds, one auto-pick. It was me. I never owned Ben Roethlisberger. I would have preferred to wait on quarterback even longer, drafted Derek Carr and Mitchell Trubisky, and then drafted an inexpensive rookie like Josh Rosen rounds later. Josh Rosen was not selected until round 24. Oh! Oh! I had already drafted two defenses by the time Josh Rosen was off the board. And instead of Ben Roethlisberger, I could have drafted Cooper Cup or Tyler Lockett. But instead, I was distracted by Podfather community posts on Patreon, as I often am. I interact with show patrons constantly on Patreon, to the detriment of my own productivity and fantasy football success! So what would you prefer? 
Cole Beasley and Ben Roethlisberger or Tyler Lockett and Josh Rosen. I would prefer Lockett and Rosen. When you game out the hypothetical scenarios, the butterfly effect of drafting Ben Roethlisberger is not worth it. But once I drafted Ben Roethlisberger, I had no choice. I had to go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Just get it out of the way. Just get three quarterbacks, put them in a glass case, and move on. Because I was less excited about the wide receivers that were available once it came back around. But then I did lock in Jordy Nelson, Tyrell Williams, and John Brown. And I was very happy about these. And in communicating with Mike Beers during this draft, I admitted being insecure about my choice of receivers. Am I being too cliche? Are these two obviously perfect best ball candidates? Am I doing something wrong? Am I missing something here, Mike? And he said, no, you're not missing anything. Those are perfect picks in those draft slots. And I said, well, okay, I guess I'm going to pick them. I mean, seems pretty obvious you would want John Brown, Tyrell Williams, and Jordy Nelson in best ball. I mean, two specialized in long touchdowns. One specializes in red zone touchdowns. And that's what you want in best ball. I'll take it. In rounds 14, 15, 16. In rounds 10 through 20, Mike Beers drafted Austin Hooper, Kelvin Benjamin, great pick. Latavius Murray, Case Keenum, Peyton Barber, Mike Williams, awful pick. Will Lutz, Jake Elliott, Houston's defense, and Dante Moncrief. And I know, it's hard to believe that between us, Mike Beers and I drafted five kickers. In the first 20 rounds, but that's how you play Draftmaster Best Ball Leagues. You have to make sure that you lock in your kickers first and then your team defenses. You cannot draft a team defense before a kicker because a kicker can lose his job at any time. It's much more risky to draft a below average kicker than a below average team defense because a team defense can never lose its job. That's the ridiculousness of the team defense. You're going to get points no matter what team defense you choose. And the highest floors on the draft master board are always the team defenses because they can never go to zero. So my final eight picks, I mentioned Cody Parkey already, my third kicker, Atlanta's defense, Seattle's defense, CJ Proceis, Adam Shaheen, Cleveland's defense, hey, Chester Rogers, Jerron Brown. There it is. You were waiting for it. You were waiting for the Chester Rogers, Jerron Brown double smash, and I gave it to you. With his final eight picks, Mike Beers drafted Mike Wallace. Excellent pick. Totally sniped me. Sebastian Janikowski, Green Bay defense. Great pick. James Washington, Albert Wilson, Tampa defense, Baker Mayfield, Taylor Gabriel. So Mike Beers executed the right best ball draft plan better than I did. He reserved more total slots for wide receivers late, allowing him to roster Mike Wallace and James Washington and Albert Wilson and Taylor Gabriel with his last pick. What are the odds that Taylor Gabriel has a two-touchdown game this season? Pretty high. So while the Ben Roethlisberger pick was a tragedy, Mike Beers did not make that mistake and drafted Baker Mayfield in the second-to-last round. Boy, would I have loved to be able to do that. He also refrained from drafting a fourth tight end. I did not. I felt compelled to select Adam Shaheen. Just couldn't let the Adam Shaheen profile get past me in the 25th round in a tight end premium league because Adam Shaheen looks the part of a proper two-way tight end in the NFL, and I am a prototypical tight end snob. I don't want any of this Trey Burton. I want all the Adam Shaheen. So my biases infected me later in the draft. 
my player valuation biases overrode my roster construction best judgment. And that's where Mike Beers beat me. Because when I drafted CJ Procise, he messaged me, why are you still drafting running backs? And I messaged him back, I don't know, Mike. I don't know why I did that. The whole reason I invested so much early round capital in the running back position is so I wouldn't have to draft running backs late. I would be required to throw zero darts on running backs later. It was the whole point of my strategy. And then at the moment I was poised to reap the rewards of that strategy by drafting a Traquan Smith or a Jamon Moore or an Albert Wilson or a Cortland Sutton. What did I do? I drafted CJ Procise. Why? Because I'm infatuated with the Satellite Back Plus. The Satellite Back Plus, who also has the opportunity to take advantage of the Alfred Morris corollary tethered to Russell Wilson on an improved offensive line, right? So you're running behind an improved offensive line with Russell Wilson occupying linebackers, and you're a 220-pound dynamic Satellite Back. And it's the 24th round, and I just can't not select that player! That player who is only available because fantasy gamers do not understand the difference between injury certainty and injury probability. Previous ankle injuries increase CJ Procise's probability of another lower body injury. It does not make him certain to be injured again this season. That's the difference. Roster construction methodology be damned. And my team is damned because of it. Because if I had drafted Cortland Sutton and I had drafted Taylor Gabriel, Instead of CJ Procise and Adam Shaheen, my roster construction would be far superior than it is today. Let's not even talk about my roster with Tyler Lockett instead of Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, no! Talk about the quintessential best ball receiver in fantasy football. His name's Tyler Lockett. I blew it. I blew it. I blew it because when you think mechanically week to week, what is going to happen in this Draftmaster Best Ball League is that these wide receivers that Mike Beers drafted late, Moncrief, Wallace, Washington, Gabriel, they will end up in his WR2 slot. They will end up in his flex spot because he stockpiled receivers. He's overweighted the wide receiver position, the position that is best equipped to deliver the splash weeks. This isn't even hard to figure out. Think about the best ball format for five minutes and you will come to this conclusion. But executing it in the moment when a CJ Procise and an Adam Shaheen are staring at you is easier said in front of a microphone than done in a draft room with other experts. And you want to show them how smart you are with your clever CJ Procise pick. Mike Beers doesn't care that his roster doesn't look exciting. He doesn't want it to. Because the team that, in quotes, wins the draft in fantasy football on August 1st never wins these leagues. I drafted Jordan Howard and Lamar Miller because I wanted my team to look boring because those are the teams that win these championships. I know that now. I did not know that a year ago. I am much more confident when I draft against the experts this year than I was last year. Remember, Mike Brody and Apex Fantasy host an experts league that famously featured trash talk between the Podfather and Christopher Harris last season. Oh, how could we forget? Christopher Harris, incredulous. When I drafted Rashard Matthews before rookie wide receiver Corey Davis, and the beef ensued. And the advocates of this show, 
The only listeners I care about on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, are creating five to ten message boards per day. And I participate in as many of them as I possibly can. And one of them is show topics. And one member of the audience asked, well, why haven't you talked about Christopher Harris lately? We love it when you break down the Christopher Harris analysis. And my response was, I didn't know Christopher Harris was still podcasting. These are the conversations that happen on Patreon. I honestly did not know Christopher Harris was still in the game. I mean, we're going to find out if he's still playing fantasy football in this upcoming Apex Experts League. I'm excited. Mike Clay's in that league. Christopher Harris is in that league. Sigmund Bloom is in that league. All of my best friends in this industry are in that league. Thank you to Mike Brody. He hosts the best expert league in the business on the best high-stakes fantasy platform that facilitates in-season moves. If you want to set your lineup, if you want to pick up free agents, the Apex platform does it the right way with multiple matchups and bidding with a free agent auction budget. So Apex does traditional leagues the right way. That's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be affiliated with Apex and to have Mike Brody on the program today. And I would love to have Christopher Harris on the program as soon as it's confirmed that he's still doing fantasy football analysis because I have read and heard zero analysis from Christopher Harris this season. I honestly did not know he was still in the business. So good for him that he's still out there. Advocates of this show on Patreon have confirmed that Christopher Harris has takes for this season. They're out there. And that's just great news for everyone. It's great news for me because Christopher Harris is one of the great content factories in the history of the Roto Underworld Radio program. And there's a whole thread on Patreon of Christopher Harris takes for 2018. This is all news to me. Here's one. Christopher Harris thinks Darius Geis is like CJ Anderson, but with, quote, a bit of breakaway speed. (laughs) 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 I think I just had a stroke. Another patron writes, Christopher Harris believes Case Keenum is overrated. Harris said, quote, We all know Case Keenum won't be good this year because last year's performance was an out-of-body experience, end quote. We all know Case Keenum won't be good. We do? Again, it's news to me that Christopher Harris is still analyzing fantasy football and that Case Keenum won't be good this year. And it's not only news to me, it's news to Mike Beers. The best in the business drafted Case Keenum in the 14th round. Apparently, he doesn't know of Christopher Harris's analysis either. We need to get this news to Mike Beers. Someone go to Twitter. Someone get on the phone. Send an email. Get this information from Christopher Harris to Mike Beers before Mike Beers does another fantasy draft. Mike Beers participates in hundreds of best ball leagues. He's out here drafting Case Keenum at will. But we should all know that Case Keenum won't be good this year, according to Christopher Harris. Somebody help Mike Beers before it's too late. Mike Beers loves best ball leagues. He plays best ball leagues wherever he can find them. And my new favorite platform for best ball leagues is real-time fantasy sports. Because last season, rtsports.com paid out millions in prize money. And this year, they will be paying out even more. 
and you can find the league with the right stakes for you. I think the MFL 10 is not worth my time. I'm not interested in a $10 league. I'm not rich, but hell if I'm playing in a $10 league. RT Sports, they have $20 leagues. And if you want to ratchet up the stakes, you can join a best ball tournament at Real-Time Fantasy Sports. That's the best. They host 144-person tournament leagues. If you're interested in chasing a true grand prize when you play fantasy football. And they have live draft options or slow draft options. And it's not just best ball leagues. It's just my favorite place to play best ball. They also have traditional leagues. They also have dynasty leagues. They've been around since 1995. So this is a platform you can trust. Check it out, rtsports.com forward slash underworld. That's rtsports.com forward slash underworld. And expand your portfolio of best ball exposure. Yeah. I wonder what Mike Beer's exposure to Case Keenum is. My guess is it's high because Case Keenum is the most prolific quarterback in the history of college football. He helped to popularize the air raid offense. It could be called the Case Keenum offense. That's how good Case Keenum was in college. And NFL evaluators got Case Keenum wrong, just like they've gotten so many other quarterbacks wrong back through time. But the wrongness of NFL evaluators apparently does not sway Mike Beers. But then again, Mike Beers is unaware that we all know Case Keenum won't be good this year. I just love talking to guys named Mike on this show. We had Mike Tagliere, Mike Wright earlier this season. We definitely need to talk to Mike Beers again if we're going to talk about him this much in the monologue. And now let's go talk to Mike Brody, the founder of the Apex Fantasy League platform. He is a massive supporter of the underworld, so be sure to follow him at B-R-A-U-D-E-M on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, Mike Brody. Mike Brody is the founder of Apex Fantasy Leagues. Check it out, apexfantasyleagues.com. Mike Brody, talk to me. Really excited to be here. Excited to talk some football. And this interview with Mike is brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. Shocking twist. Big time shocking twist. Been waiting a long time to have him on. And this guy is a draft concept expert. He really understands draft concepts, who to draft in what rounds to optimize your roster configuration. How do you end a draft with the best possible team structure? Mike Brody has the answers. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about the first round. What do you do once the Mount Rushmore of running backs is off the board? What do you do? What do you do, Mike Brody? What do you do? I'm not even sure that I would call it the Mount Rushmore. I think I have Gurley a little bit ahead of the other backs. Obviously, Le'Veon's great in terms of a workload. Well, isn't that the way Mount Rushmore is anyway? I mean, George Washington's head is jutting out in a way and ahead of the other three presidents. So yes, Todd Gurley can be your George Washington. That's fine. But there is a top four. You would agree. I may agree that there's a top four, but I would not agree that all four are better than Antonio Brown. Is that right? Well, that's interesting. You would draft Antonio Brown before whom? I would probably take Antonio Brown instead of Ezekiel Elliott. <gasps> Again, this is a PPR league context. We just want to make it clear. Apex Fantasy Fo- Apex Fantasy Leagues. It's PPR, right? Mostly? Yes, it's all PPR and... Apex Fantasy Leagues is PPR. 
PPR, 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 PPR. For the rest of the show, we are only discussing fantasy football within a PPR context. PPR, 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 PPR. And it's it's not just the scoring. It's also the starting lineups. Uh, in leagues that you are starting three wide receivers and a flex, you can use a strategy that many of us have heard of called zero running back, where it is essentially a race to the flex. And getting a dominant wide receiver in your flex position can be hugely beneficial in leagues like Apex. Two running backs, three receivers, and a flex. So a common roster configuration when setting your lineup on any given week is a quarterback, two running backs, four receivers, and a tight end. Suddenly your starting lineup has twice as many receivers as running backs incentivizing you to spend your most valuable draft capital on the wide receiver position and you're drafting Antonio Brown over Ezekiel Elliott in PPR. I think that's a mistake. I understand where you're coming from. The issue for me is I think that there's going to be a lot of running the ball and slow offense for the Cowboys. A lot of running the ball. Who's going to be doing that? It's going to be Ezekiel Elliott. Who's going to be doing it? Who's going to be carrying that football over and 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 over again? How many overs does it take for Ezekiel Elliott to get injured running into an offensive line instead of getting the ball into space? The offensive line is back. The Cowboys experienced a rash of injuries on the offensive line last season. The Cowboys offensive line that we're accustomed to is back for 2018. And I think Ezekiel Elliott will have a career year. I think he'll push 2,000 yards rushing. He could do that. No other running back in the NFL can rush for 2,000 yards. If I told you a running back rushed for 2,000 yards this season, you would bet on Ezekiel Elliott. For your life, you would bet on Ezekiel Elliott. You would. You have to. Of course you are, because you're a rational person. If someone dropped out of the sky, rappelled down, and said, Mike Brody, a running back rush for 2,000 yards this season, name him, or we're taking you up to this helicopter, what would you say? What's the name you would utter? Ezekiel Elliott is the odds-on favorite. Thank you very much! That's why he's on the Mount Rushmore! Give him the spot on your Mount Rushmore. The issue is he doesn't seem to have the same receiving upside as the other running backs who are going around him. That's true. It's true. You're drafting him more for touchdown upside and total rushing yards, but I think based on the scoring system, it will all come out in the wash. We have Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson very close on our seasonal rankings, check it out, fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com. That's where you can find our seasonal rankings and Ben Gretsch's team previews with insights on every team, video analysis of over 200 players. So let's go deeper in the first round. What about DeAndre Hopkins? When are you pushing the button on DeAndre Hopkins? So I have a big dilemma for me between Hopkins and Odell. Uh, obviously Hopkins has immense target upside and could reach an 170 target season. So he's got a very high volume scenario 
that is possible that makes him very compelling to draft. But through their careers, Odell has averaged 1.3 more targets per game. He's averaged almost one whole yard more per target. And per game for his career, Odell is averaging 0.8 touchdowns, while Hopkins is averaging 0.46. So through their careers, Odell has been the better receiver. That's true. One follow-up question on that. Who's Odell Beckham Jr.'s quarterback? What's his name? Eli Manning. Eli Manning, right? So it's very difficult to justify drafting a wide receiver in the first round whose quarterback is Eli Manning because I see Odell Beckham Jr. and DeAndre Hopkins, though they are the same age, as two ships passing in the night, being pulled by two quarterbacks going in opposite directions. That's the difference. When you zoom out and look at DeAndre Hopkins' full career, there's been a lot of Brock Osweiler and a lot of Tom Savage throughout that career where Odell Beckham Jr. has enjoyed Eli Manning's late prime and now will suffer the Eli Manning declining years. Dun, dun, dun. I think it's possible, but how Odell has produced with Eli Manning so far doesn't necessarily give me reason to concern to be concerned about the future. So you're going Odell Beckham Jr. over DeAndre Hopkins? No, I will do enough drafts. That- what? You just set this whole thing up to agree with me? No, if I had one draft, I would probably take Odell over Hopkins. If I have 10 drafts and I'm getting shares of each of them, then I'd rather split my shares. That was the worst take in the history of Roto Underworld Radio. No one has ever uttered a more vanilla take since I've started this podcast, Mike Brody. You gotta come in with an opinion. You can't just say, I'm gonna do 12 drafts and I'm gonna draft DeAndre Hopkins six times and Odell Beckham Jr. six times. You have one draft for your life. You're hanging on the nose of George Washington and... A friendly helicopter arrives and rappels down, and the rescuer removes his mask to reveal which receiver. Odell, DeAndre Hopkins. Odell Beckham Jr., DeAndre Hopkins. Odell. There's so many kinds of wrong on this. The rule of thumb is you chase targets, not efficiency. I think you're chasing efficiency here, and it's historic efficiency and less relevant efficiency because of the decline of Eli Manning and the addition of... Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley to that passing game the last two seasons, I think you're wrong. And you're going to prove me wrong. I think there's definitely more target competition. You're 100% right about that. I'm chasing the targets. You can chase efficiency all you want. I'll chase the targets. We'll see who wins. I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk, but okay. We can find out because you and I will be competing in the Apex Experts League. Talk to us about this Apex fantasy football platform. How did the idea to launch this platform strike you? So I played a lot of low stakes fantasy online and I kind of knew what was being offered and I didn't really like the options. If you wanted to go online, draft with your friends, find a league to play in, I thought there were a lot of settings that could be improved. I played on a lot of websites that had shallow starting lineups where you could only start two running backs and two wide receivers. So Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. So I'm sitting some of my best players. I'm unable to pick up some of the best free agents because there's no blind bidding. It's worst to first uh, free agent pickups. And there were other things that we thought we could add to make the system better. For example, two games per week. 
So each week you're playing against a random opponent like your normal fantasy league, and then you're also playing against the average. So we kind of aim to make this skill-based format that helps the best teams win win playing fantasy. The Apex platform is more engaging because the blind bidding weekly free agent pickup system is more stimulating. It's a more interesting process for selecting and acquiring free agents. It's the only fair way to do it. And it's also the most fair. That's the beauty of it. It's just lame that you could lose week one and have a great team and then you get an opportunity at a free agent that nobody else does simply because you struggled during week one. Everybody should have the fair chance at that free agent for whatever money they're willing to allocate to that player. Anytime you can remove randomness and add capitalism to fantasy football, I'm for it. I'm for equalizing the playing field and ensuring that free agents are allocated to the teams that want them the most and that matchups are won and lost by the best teams. And you can only accomplish that with multiple matchups per week. And you've implemented both with this platform. But beyond just nakedly supporting the show, not naked, but beyond simply, I mean, you're going to have clothes on while you're playing. You might not. You might not. In fact, I'll tease a future show, the next Sonic Truth show that we drop. will have a fascinating nugget in the outtakes regarding Todd Haley's clothing wearing habits. We'll just leave it at that. It's a little tease for the next Roto Underworld radio program, the Sonic Truth show with my guest, Marcus Mosier. But it's not just about supporting the brands that support Roto Underworld Radio, which is what you're doing when you're visiting ApexFantasyLeagues.com. You're also playing on the most fun and engaging and fair platform. Mike Brody is minimizing the schadenfreude that so many fantasy gamers feel. Just beating yourself up about your starting lineup and about players that were added and dropped that is out of your control. The Apex platform brings skill back to fantasy football, which is purported to be a game of skill. So thank you, Mike Brody, for doing that. That's what Apex is here for. Now, Jordan Matthews may have played his final down of football in 2017. I can't believe I'm saying that, but he's going to miss the year. He was IR'd by the New England Patriots. He passed through waivers unclaimed, will spend the rest of the season on injured reserve. Is his career a wrap? I think that he'll be in another training camp. I mean, the guy was a really good prospect. He had a pretty decent early career. Pretty decent. I mean, he was right there. He was in that Odell Beckham. He was one of the key members of that Odell Beckham Jr. 2014 epic wide receiver class. 100%. And I challenge you to find a receiver with a more successful first two years of his career. It's only a handful. Odell Beckham Jr. happens to be one of them. It's not DeAndre Hopkins. Through two seasons, Jordan Matthews was more productive. Jordan Matthews had a 48.3% 93rd percentile dominator rating in the SEC. He should have been not only a prolific college receiver, a prolific professional receiver, and he was snake bitten. And that's it. And sometimes that happens to professional athletes. They never reach their full potential. And it's a shame. It's funny that the Patriots look like they're signing Decker, who is his player profile comparable. It's so perfect. Eric Decker and his whiteness is a much better fit for the New England Patriots than Jordan Matthews. I always thought Jordan Matthews was more comparable to 
Chris Hogan, then Julian Edelman, and I didn't necessarily believe the New England Patriots would play him in the slot full-time with Julian Edelman out, but I am fully confident that if Eric Decker signs with New England, as he should, by the way, if I were Eric Decker, I would be driving to Foxborough right now. He needs to sign with the New England Patriots, and he could be a monster producer until Julian Edelman arrives. I, I think so. I don't know if he's going to be reliable every single week, but I think that he should be a plug-and-play type of guy. In Dynasty as well, not just in redraft, in Dynasty. You need to go out and pick up Kenny Britt. You need to go out and pick up Eric Decker, who just signed an instant ago as we speak with the New England Patriots. He is going to move into that slot role. It's going to be plug and play. And now I'm going to go ahead and just light all that Kenny Britt I just acquired in Dynasty on fire. No Philip Dorsett love, huh? No, no. I thought the next man up would be Kenny Britt, but now it's clearly Eric Decker. We both agree with this, right? It's going to be the Eric Decker and Chris Hogan show. I think so too. And Gronk show. Let's not forget that. Of course, Gronk. Yes, of course, Gronk. Gronk Gronk looks to be in good spirits. There's video of Gronkowski and Belichick embracing one another, smiling, messing up the hair. I'm not as concerned about Rob Gronkowski this season as I was a couple weeks ago when there seemed to be dark clouds circling every aspect of Rob Gronkowski. Now, all of a sudden, he's out there. He's on the practice field. He's remembered that he loves football. Looks like it's going to be a fun season in New England again. I think the only concern with Gronk is an injury. If he is healthy with this team, Edelman gone at the beginning of the season, there's going to be so many opportunities for him, and we know what he's capable of when he's on the field. So many. But the fact remains, the Patriots have lost Brandon Cooks from last season. They just lost Jordan Matthews. They've lost Julian Edelman for the first few games of the season. At what point does this loss of weaponry impact Brady's projected productivity this season? It's funny you bring this up. It's a great question. I remember the last time the fantasy community was really down on Brady. Uh, It was in 2010 after the Moss trade. And I remember the Roto World blurbs were like the sky is falling because Brady's completion percentage dropped. His Mm -hmm. passer rating was down 25 points. Uh, For a five-game stretch, he he averaged 213 passing yards with just 1.2 passing touchdowns per game. And I remember Roto World saying he's not a recommended start in any leagues. And then the second half of the season, stop it. Brady caught fire. And over the last eight games, he threw 22 touchdowns and no interceptions. And he was tops in the league for TD percentage on 7.3 of his pass attempts. So recently, uh, questioning Brady has not gone very well. And I think the biggest domino to fall would be Gronk going down. Until Gronk goes down, I'm not worried about Brady producing. Good answer. He's kind of the irreplaceable part. I mean, we saw them struggle against the Dolphins last year for the one game that Gronk missed. And maybe the most impressive game of uh, Brady's career was against the Jags. He has the hand injury. I think Gronk went down at the beginning of the second quarter. And it was like, how are the Patriots going to be able to continue to move the ball? They don't have Edelman. They don't have Gronk. And Brady has this hand injury. And they just they don't have a defense. They don't have a defense. And somehow, even with uh, what Deion Lewis getting stripped and fumbling, the Patriots still managed to hold on with guys like Amendola. And I don't know that there's any drop-off from Edelman to Amendola. Both of them will be fine. They still have Hogan. They still have Gronk. With those type of guys, with what they have right now, I think that Brady will be just fine. They still have Hogan, and Hogan has Brady. And because Chris Hogan is the number one receiver in New England now, 
with Tom Brady. Is he undervalued by the fantasy football community still? Even though he's rising, I understand. He's risen a full round in the last month. I understand that. But is he still undervalued? I think he is. Uh, Through eight weeks last year, he was the wide receiver 10. Um, And you can get him in the fifth round now. Uh, He goes like wide receiver 25. So if you're getting him at the late fifth, beginning of the sixth, then you're grabbing your fourth wide receiver. Fantasy gamers still think that Chris Hogan is a WR3? How is this possible? The crazy thing with Hogan is I don't think he's ever topped 61 career targets. This will be the year that he does so. This is the year that he does it, yes. Well, last year, in only nine games, he had 59 targets. But the target share, because the Patriots throw the ball so much, the volume is just so high in these prolific offenses, his target share was only 16.9%, yet he still scored five touchdowns. So Chris Hogan is the 1B to Gronkowski's 1A in the red zone, and I believe that the target share and the hog rate targets per snap his hog rate last year only 10.7 percent 84th in the league so when chris hogan was on the field he wasn't being targeted as much as julian edelman as much as rob gronkowski but he was in the red zone but now without julian edelman without brandon cooks the targets will skew his way and for the first time it looks like chris hogan will command 100 targets and if chris hogan commands 100 targets there's a good chance a significant percentage of those are touchdowns. And he could be one of the league's only double-digit touchdown scorers at the wide receiver position. There's so much talk about Devontae Adams being that guy. Why not Chris Hogan? Why couldn't Chris Hogan lead all NFL wide receivers in touchdowns? Why not? I think he's capable. Uh, Obviously, there's a Gronk in the way who's going to steal a significant percentage of the red zone looks. Uh, But he's going to be on an offense that throws a lot of touchdowns. He's a bigger guy. He's proven capable in that area. And he's kind of like an arbitrage play on a Devonta Adams. His end zone target share, 35%. So when the Patriots were down on the goal line, the jump balls were going to Gronk on one side or Christopher Hogan on the other. He should be being drafted in the fourth round. I think that's fair. Which wide receivers currently being drafted in the third and fourth round, though, would you draft before Hogan? Who are your favorite third and fourth round receivers? So my favorite third round receivers we'll start with are Diggs. Can't get enough Diggs in my life. Can't get enough Diggs. I mean, it's official though. He's good. The team paid him. So now no one has an excuse. It's official. He's great. And the last remnants, the last holdouts in the fantasy football community just have to eat it and acknowledge that he's good. And so at this point, we're finally going to see, at long last, Stephon Diggs valued properly in fantasy football leagues. And I think it's at this second, third round turn. That's where Diggs should be drafted. I agree. And it seems that there's a lot of people who believe that Thielen will get a bigger market share. If you look at their averages from the last two years, including playoffs, Diggs is averaging more fantasy points per game. So I'm not really, I think, I think of them as 1A and 1B, and I think Diggs is still getting better. I think of them as 1 and 2. Diggs is 1, Thielen is 2. Diggs is 1, Thielen is 2. I think Diggs will have a higher target share, he'll be more efficient, and he will greatly exceed Adam Thielen in fantasy points per game. It's not that Adam Thielen is going to have a bad season. It's that Stephon Diggs will be that productive. Who's your favorite in the fourth round? 
Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Josh Gordon just because he's going too high. I love Josh Gordon as much as anybody. I, I don't know if anybody's won me more fantasy championships in one season than Gordon. Uh, but when we remove kind of the emotional aspect of my Josh Gordon love story, uh, he was okay when he played last year. He was nothing special. He hasn't played more than five games in a season since 2013. And he's going ahead of Jarvis Landry. And I know Landry doesn't play on the outside, but he's been fantastic since entering the league. He has the most receptions in NFL history through four seasons with Ryan Tannehill, Jay Cutler, and Matt Moore leading the way. He's never finished. He hasn't finished lower than wide receiver 13 in three years. And he's going behind a guy that hasn't played. So when you can get Landry at wide receiver 28, when he finished as wide receiver 30 as a rookie, it just seems insane to me. I know that wide receivers changing teams often have a difficult time, but it, it's crazy to me how low the fantasy community is on Landry right now. Landry is a guy who, when he gets on the football field, he makes plays. And you got to draft the ballers sometimes because ballers ball. How many games has Jarvis Landry missed in his NFL career? Has he missed any? Zero. The answer, Mike Brody, is zero. Josh Gordon has averaged 11 games missed per season. Jarvis Landry has yet to miss a game. And yet, Jarvis Landry is being drafted more than a round later than Josh Gordon. Now, Josh Gordon is falling. The news that he won't be attending the first few weeks of training camp are depressing Josh Gordon's valuation. But he's still going before Jarvis Landry, even in high-stakes leagues, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Jarvis Landry is the wide receiver to own, other than Jeff Janis. <laughs> Jeff Janis looks the part of a wide receiver one more than any other Cleveland wide receiver. We know that. But other than Jeff Janis, it has to be Jarvis Landry in fantasy football leagues. This isn't an emotional game. You need to step back and make the clinical, rational decision which players to draft in which rounds based on value and roster construction. And I just completed the FFPC's pros versus Joes. And in that draft, I selected Jordan Howard. I selected Lamar Miller. I selected players I don't like. And I don't care that I don't like them. The ADPs were right given the format. If Jarvis Landry's ADP is right given the format, and in this case... Apex Fantasy Football Leagues are PPR. I'm drafting Jarvis Landry ahead of the other wide receivers that are in his ADP range, and especially ahead of Josh Gordon, who has a long, illustrious track record of missing games in the NFL and giving you zero fantasy points. See, that's how you do a take. You see how I, with the crescendo, just totally dismissing Josh Gordon with a vigor. It just seems he may be the most overvalued wide receiver right now. Well, I think if I was in 12 fantasy leagues, Mike, I would draft Josh Gordon in six of those, and then I would draft a Jarvis Landry in six of those to balance out my exposure. Yeah. Those are those are shares I'm not willing to split. How's that? How's it see how much better the previous take was than that take? Well, I think there's certain situations where it's worth splitting shares, and then there's certain situations where you certainly take the value. I would file this one under the ladder. Let's look a little bit later in the draft. Veteran wide receivers. Who's going to bounce back most vigorously of all the veteran receivers who we know to be good, like Stephon Diggs, it's just we haven't seen them play well lately. Who will be back this year? Julian Edelman. Oh, 
Haven't heard that one yet. So you think that we will see vintage Julian Edelman in 2018? Yeah, I, I don't know about vintage like his best season ever, but what I do think is he's at a position where his athleticism, even if it drops off a little bit, it won't hurt him as much. He's not playing on the outside. Wes Welker performed uh, as he got older, I think up until he was about 34 years old. Uh, and I think that there's plenty of opportunity on a really good offense. Him and Brady have that trust. It's like that Jordy Nelson Rogers thing where even if Edelman isn't the same player, they have the chemistry and the connection to produce consistently. And I think that those targets will be there for him. More than 100 vacated targets from Brandon Cooks are no longer on this roster. And it's not just Chris Hogan that will benefit. Julian Edelman will also benefit once he returns. Targets are being added to this Washington passing game. Makes it very muddled. It's very ambiguous target share distribution when you're running the projections for Washington. And every time we run the projections at playerprofiler.com, I look over at Peter Howard and he's just shaking his head when I say the name Josh Doxson. All I get are head shakes. Is Josh Doxson ever going to be a thing? I'm starting to waver on it. Uh, there's a lot to like about him as a prospect, but he caught 44.9% of his targets last year, Ooh. while Cousins' while cousins completion percentage was 64%. Um, I'm just not sold on Doxson. I haven't seen it. He can obviously box people out and catch a few touchdowns, but is he going to be a reliable chain mover on the outside? Is he going to get open? I'm not sure. I think I'd rather wait and take a Paul Richardson later, who I thought looked a lot better last season. The moment we moved out of the first round, Mike, all we've done is agree. It was just furiously debating, just disagreeing fervently about every player drafted in the first round. Once we move out of the first round, hey, 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 oh, hey, oh, hey. Yes, Paul Richardson is the wide receiver to own. And it's what we always talk about with ambiguous backfields and ambiguous receiving cores. Just take the least expensive of the good players. Just take yeah. the least expensive of the good players. Draft Ty Montgomery in Green Bay. Draft Jordan Wilkins in Indianapolis. Draft Paul Richardson in Washington. Now draft Jerron Brown in Seattle, so many of these ambiguous backfields and receiving cores can be solved by simply drafting the least expensive good player. And it's been a long time since 2015 TCU football, right? The 2015 college football season is now deep into the archives. So it's difficult to, to just continue to look back at Josh Doxson's college career in order to support the notion that he's an upside play in fantasy football. I think Paul Richardson has more upside, and Paul Richardson also had a more impressive college resume than even Josh Doxson. Check the College Dominator on playerprofiler.com if you don't believe me. But if you listen to this show, you probably believe me because the Podfather tells the truth. And with Rashad Penny, I don't know what the truth is. I don't think Pete Carroll is lying about his affinity for Chris Carson, but I'm just not sure how much that's going to matter once the ball is kicked off in week one. So at what point should Rashad Penny enthusiasts be worried about Chris Carson? 
So I would say if he was selected in the third round, then I'm probably not a great person to ask because I would have never taken Penny in the third round. So I was never a guy who was going to take him in the third. I would have said it was a bad idea before because I'm taking a Diggs or maybe a T.Y. Hilton instead. Um, But I still think Penny will get most of the work. The concern for me is Brian Schottenheimer is the OC. Um, I'll throw in a little plug here for T.J. Hernandez. He used to write for Apex back in the day. Uh, now he writes some coaching impact articles for four for four. And he did an article on Brian Schottenheimer and Schottenheimer is just one of those hires that I don't like. He's kind of like a proven dud who hasn't run a good offense. He wants to run the ball up the gut. He plays slow. He's scared. He's not aggressive. And he's one of those guys that you're like, what are you doing hiring this guy? Soaked in risk aversion. I don't like any of the moves that the Seattle Seahawks have made the last two seasons. Other than signing Jerron Brown, that's the only quality off-season move by Seattle coaches and management. What the hell are they doing? I'm not looking to take many Seahawks on my fantasy games. Nor should you. And now Doug Baldwin's hurt, and he'll miss preseason. And there, there I think Pete Carroll is lying. I think Pete Carroll knows more than we do about the nature, the severity of Doug Baldwin's knee injury. And Seattle management does not want to raise concerns among the fans. They want to secure as many season tickets as possible. And that's why they are displaying this false confidence about Doug Baldwin's ability to be ready to play and healthy in week one. Doug Baldwin's not going to be healthy in week one. And if Doug Baldwin's not healthy in week one, why am I drafting him in the third round of fantasy football leagues? It's not going to happen. I don't think you can take him in the third round, but there is a point where it may be worth taking him. If he creeps into the late fourth and you can get him, even if he comes back week three or whatever, you slide him in as your fourth receiver. And we know that he's going to soak up targets and be a, a reliable starter, assuming that his injury doesn't linger. I'm terrified. I I understand that. And I I don't think that I'll own much of him, but I do think that there's something to be gained from people being scared off by injury sometimes. This may or may not be one of those situations. And it's all the more reason to draft Jerron Brown in the final rounds of drafts. In that pros versus Joes draft, my final pick in round 28 was Jerron Brown. Why are fantasy gamers so clueless about Jerron Brown? I, I just don't think he's produced up to this point enough and 28 year old breakouts don't happen very often uh but he's obviously a really good athlete and he's performed at times he doesn't need to break out he just needs to be somewhat productive in a draft master best ball scenario and if doug baldwin isn't healthy and he's inactive week one jerron brown is the starter in two receiver sets so even in traditional leagues with add drops throughout the season jerron brown has week one upside and that's a player you should be drafting in the final rounds of drafts regardless of the format jerron brown goes out and catches seven passes for 80 yards and a touchdown in week one he'll be the number one waiver claim in fantasy football heading into week two Will he not? It depends who else is out there, but that is definitely possible if he produces like that in week one. Just close your eyes. In your mind's eye, you can see Jerron Brown being the number one waiver wire target after week one. You can see it. Close your eyes. Use your imagination. Because we haven't seen a 28-year-old breakout. But when you go to playerprofiler.com and you realize, oh, wow, he has a 119.4 87th percentile spark score, which is Nike's overarching composite athleticism score, and the Seattle Seahawks decided they were going to pay him $5 million, that's all I need to know. 
The Seahawks believe he can translate that athleticism into on-field production, and that's worth a final round pick for me. Who would you rather have, Jerron Brown or Taewon Taylor in the later rounds? Taewon Taylor. I also agree with that. I love Jerron Brown, but he ain't no Taewon Taylor. What are the odds Taewon Taylor outscores Corey Davis? Um, I mean, from the outset, it seems unlikely, but it's possible. I think the best scenario for Taewon Taylor to outscore Corey Davis is if this Richard Matthews injury is serious and he misses time and it pushes Taewon into the slot. Um, as we saw from Lafleur's offense with the Rams, they were very happy to target Cup and Robert Woods over the middle. So I think it could be a nice scenario for Taewon if they let him play the slot and Matthews is out. So I think that's probably the most likely scenario if he were to outscore Corey Davis. It's not worth a lot, but Marcus Mariota is heavily targeting Taewon Taylor in training camp. Like, that's happening. There are many more Taewon Taylor highlight gifs on social media than there are Corey Davis. So you're not allowed to be surprised when Taewon Taylor outscores Corey Davis in fantasy football this year. You see how I did that? I didn't say it was going to happen. I just said you're not allowed to be surprised, which allows me to come back over the top with a told you so six months from now. That's how you give a take on a fantasy football podcast, Mike Brody. I love it. I don't know why I'm so mad at you. All we're doing is agreeing right now, and I love you, and you're a big supporter of the site, and I'm a big supporter of your site. Why am I mad at you? That doesn't make sense. I'm wondering the same thing. I'm agreeing with you. I think the Odell take really, really knocked you off from the outset. I think I just enjoy being mad. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's not you. It's me. It's anything. I'll find a reason to get agitated in front of this microphone. Is it anger or is it passion? It's everything. It's passion. It's also, if we're on the therapist couch right now, what it is is a desire to entertain. I know the people want this, and I am here to please. My parents often dressed me up and had me dance in front of people when I was younger. And ever since then, I have had this desire to please everyone around me and entertain groups of people. You're a performer. That was a lie, but you believed it. I believe part of it. It's not a lie. That did happen. All right. We're talking about Taewon Taylor, and I think that his optimal role in the NFL is as a volume slot receiver. Which slot receiver is the best bet in the later rounds of drafts if you can't get Taewon Taylor? There's a lot of good value slot receivers later on in the draft. Yeah, Aguilar seems to be going really low, which I think is interesting because Alshon doesn't look like the same player to me at this stage of the game. Um, Aguilar average, he only scored one fewer touchdown. He averaged one and a half more yards per target. And Alshon was targeted 25 more times and caught five fewer balls. Um, so both of them are on good offenses. And I think that Aguilar is probably still getting better while Alshon's probably getting worse at this point in time. So I think Aguilar is, is kind of an interesting slot take late. I'm seeing Alshon Jeffrey slip into the fifth round, sometimes the sixth round of drafts. We did the math on the Browns passing game. And the idea that both Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry would have top 50 ADPs doesn't make any sense. Well, the opposite is true in Philadelphia. We know this is a prolific offense. And the idea that all of their wide receivers would be drafted outside the top 50 also doesn't make any sense. And I am an advocate for wide receiver stacking in the most prolific offenses. So what would you say to someone who drafts Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace? I mean, I I don't know about grabbing all three of them. I am not influenced by the team that a player plays on. I think if they have a great chance at exceeding their 
ADP, then they're worth the selection. I don't overthink, okay, this guy's on an offense with this guy, so I can't take both of them. I don't like that strategy. Um, but in this situation, I don't see any evidence to prove that Alshon is much better or more valuable than Aguilar. Um, so I think in this situation, I would rather take the cheaper guy multiple rounds later. So if anything, stack the two least expensive, Aguilar and Wallace. Because you have to admit that Mike Wallace is an attractive option, especially in draft master leagues where you're going to get reliable production and it's very inexpensive. Yes, you're going to get the inexpensive splash plays and he's going to be on a good offense and he's going to have some long touchdowns. So I agree from that standpoint. So Mike Wallace is the perfect example of a player you target in a draft master best ball format, but in a traditional league with a waiver wire and lineup setting, Mike Wallace is not nearly as attractive. Bingo. That's exactly what I was about to say. You see how we're clicking? Look how calm I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm so calm. We're clicking so well. I'm no longer agitated. That was a great take. You're doing a great job. We make a good team. This show is going really well. I'm really enjoying myself. That's what I'm here for. After a show like this, I sometimes I just take a nap. Yeah, I get fired up after something like this, so it's not exactly nap time. It's just a release for me. And my bed gave me a new lease on life in athletics in that I had a bad back and I invested over $1,000 in a Tempur-Pedic mattress. And the Tempur-Pedic mattress is interesting in that when you lay on it at first, it feels hard, but then slowly you start to sink into the bed and it forms a mold around you. And in that way, it balances out perfectly the weight distribution, particularly on your back, because I'm someone who often sleeps on my back. So the Tempur-Pedic mattress has really been a revolution for me in my health and my golf game and my tennis game, which are great, by the way. But I've recently read that the memory foam beds cause cancer. And you know that I am always on the lookout for the consumer products that cause cancer, because I believe a lot of consumer products are contributing to increased cancer rates. We are surrounded by a lot of mild carcinogens. We've talked about the lawsuit against Roundup. I believe a lot of consumer products cause cancer, and it's a bummer, man. It's a total bummer. And apparently, the foam mattresses emit something called a VOC, a volatile organic compound which is technically a carcinogen. So now I am back on the market for a new bed. I'm looking for a bed that has the properties of the Tempur-Pedic that perfectly distributes your body weight while you sleep without giving you a tumor. And if anyone in the underworld community, if any listeners have found this particular bed in the marketplace, let us know, rotounderworld at gmail.com or tweet us at rotounderworld. Now, what do you sleep on, Mike? I sleep on a tufted needle mattress. What's, what's that? What's that? You don't know what tufted needle is? No, what, I, I'm just now doing the research. Sometimes these mansion lifestyle segments are well-prepared and I have a recipe ready or I have a recommendation for a consumer product ready. Not the case here. I just learned about these VOCs in my memory foam mattress and I'm terrified. Now I'm just flailing and it's screaming for help on my podcast. I don't know anything about mattresses. So I'm coming into this particular segment completely uninformed. It's a whole new way of 
executing a mansion lifestyle segment. And I'll be honest, it's not going that well because I don't even know what you're talking about. Tough to Needle? Tufton Needle is a West Coast company that really... Oh, Tufton Needle is the name of the company. Yes. I was like sleeping on needles. That sounds awful. Tufton Needle mattresses. Is that memory foam? What is it made of? Um, I may need to do more research. I wasn't exactly prepared to be quizzed on my mattress. Yes, there is. What kind of bed do you sleep on? That's in the show sheet. I'm agitated <laughs> again. I can't believe they were this mansion lifestyle segment's been ruined because you didn't read the show sheet. I told you what kind of bed I slept on. The question doesn't ask what it's made out of. You're right. You're right. I should be mad at myself. I should have had an answer prepared. Damn it. Tuft and needle mattress. It's the best, apparently. <laughs> tuft and needle mattress is the best oh this website looks good that's a pretty looking bed it's really nice i like it is it firm and then you sink into it yeah it's got firmness and it has it has a good combination of being soft and firm it's got uh, a cooling gel that keeps you cool at night that's the biggest complaint of my wife my biggest complaint is cancer my wife's biggest complaint is that she's too hot. It has bounce and support. I like that. Does it emit VOCs? Yes, it does, and you're going to die. Shit, no way! That sucks, man! I'm really sorry! Just kidding. These tuft and needle mattresses have a special mattress cover that blocks many of the harmful substances in textile and mattress materials. <laughs> We've solved the great mattress dilemma. On the Roto Underworld Radio program, tuftandneedle.com. You're welcome, Tuft and Needle. I just sold you like 10 mattresses. <laughs> shout outs for everybody. Should we be giving Zero RB a shout out? I think it's always time for a Zero RB shout out. Is this the year that Zero RB makes a raging comeback? I think it's a great year for Zero running back. Obviously, everybody's looking for those high volume running backs, and it's allowing the early wide receivers to slide, who I think are a lot better than the wide receivers who fall. Um, many are into the idea that there's tons of depth at wide receiver, but I think there's a pretty significant drop-off uh, at the end of round two. Um, so when you're dra- drafting, I don't know, the end of the first round, and you can start with an Odell and a Julio or a Keenan Allen or Michael Thomas and stack two of them, it's great. And there's many people who are kind of penning last year the death of zero running back. But if you drafted wide receivers and then you, you picked a Camara and maybe picked up a Drake or an Alex Collins, your team looked damn good with zero running back. Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis is another one. The only way you were beating teams with Todd Gurley in the playoffs last year is with Deion Lewis. Yes. What about Jarek McKinnon? He's now creeping into the late second round. Has he jumped the shark? Uh, I love McKinnon, um, but I think it's a little too pricey for me. He's The hype is getting out of control. He's never really been a high-volume running back. Obviously, he's going to be in a good offense, and I think that he'll have a, a good opportunity to outperform his ADP, but I, I like the idea of pivoting to Brida. Um, I think that Shanahan still has a desire to use multiple running backs, and Bright is a lot cheaper. I think he could get Tevin Coleman type volume. Um, and McKinnon's just a little bit pricey for me, knowing what we know about his efficiency. Matt Breida looks like Tevin Coleman. You're right. They're both very explosive and athletic. I had not yet made that connection. That is brilliant. The show's going really well, Mike. It's a nice opportunity for zero running back teams to get a guy like Breida. And I mean, McKinnon hasn't been a high-volume guy. So in a situation that he gets hurt, I mean, Breida could become a league winner. What about Darius Geis? Would Darius Geis 
get you off a zero RB if he falls to the fourth round, for example? Yes. He is one of the few guys that I would take uh, at running back. Tantalizing. He's unbelievable. The upside is so tantalizing. And now we know Chris Thompson is not 100%. That was reported on ESPN that his fibula fracture has not yet fully healed. Even though he started training camp on the active roster, he admitted to reporters, which was weird. Very strange that you do you rarely see a player admitting to reporters, volunteering, just volunteering information that, hey, just volunteering the information, hey, I'm not healthy. Yeah, it doesn't say good things about his confidence. And Chris Thompson isn't really like a special, special player. He's obviously a plus in the passing game. I love Chris Thompson. I think he's a good player, but... He was also the luckiest running back in football last season. Yes, he was. Um, But Geis is a very, very special running back. And we could see a situation this year, regardless of Chris Thompson's health, that Geis is good enough to force his way onto the field consistently. He's going to catch more passes on first and second down than fantasy gamers and fantasy analysts realize. Even if Chris Thompson's in there on third down in the hurry-up offense, that doesn't preclude Alex Smith from checking it down to Darius Geis frequently on first and second down. I can absolutely see that. I can see Jay Gruden calling an inordinate number of screenplays for Darius Geis because Darius Geis is so damn good at taking screenplays to the house! The reason why Darius Geis is a generational talent is the following. He is one of the best between the tackles grinders who is also electric in space. When you combine those two traits, you get a generational talent at running back. This draft class had two generational talents at the running back position, Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis. He fell in the draft for same old ludicrous biases that we see every year from NFL management. Yeah. Put that aside, cancel out the noise, and just evaluate Darius Geis in a vacuum. He's a generational talent. If you can get him in the late third, early fourth round, you got to push the button regardless of whatever draft concept you're considering executing. Darius Geis is the one running back that should force fantasy gamers to pivot. Yeah, I think that there's only a number of guys who can really have a huge swing in terms of ADP. I mean, obviously injuries change things, but Geis is one of those guys that could be really underrated and could be taken in the first round next year. He's a special talent. There's opportunity on his offense, and there's a good reason to think that he could outperform his ADP in the third round. Close your eyes and imagine fantasy drafts in 2019, and it is very easy to imagine Darius Geis as the 6th, 7th, 8th player drafted in 2019. That thought experiment is incredibly straightforward. You talked about Breida being your favorite late-round running back. Who will be your highest-owned player overall? Um, I think right now it would look like Diggs, uh, Tariq Cohen I really like, and Jarvis Landry seem like three solid candidates to be my highest-owned player. Diggs, man. Diggs. I love that you let off with Diggs. Oh, you can never get enough Stephon Diggs. Oh, Diggs is an auto-select in the third round. It seems that most want to draft him at the end of the third, and I would be happy to take him end of the second, beginning of the third. So there's a lot of situations where I end up with him on my roster. What's the earliest you would end up with a quarterback? I can't imagine taking a quarterback earlier than round 10 or 11. It really depends on the settings of the leagues, and maybe... 
in a six point per passing touchdown league, it would be a little different. But in leagues that start one quarterback, there's so much depth in the position. I, even after the interception news yesterday, I love Patrick Mahomes. I'm happy to take Mariota. I'm happy to take Big Ben. There, there's just so many guys that I would rather take other positions for as long as possible. Mariota, 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 so musical. Like a Mariota band. Has the QB position ever been this talent rich? Um, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question because it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Uh, coaching and analytics is just getting better right now. And teams are realizing how to put their players in better situations to succeed. So I think there's more passes. There's less running up the gut. There's more Sean McVay's, Kyle Shanahan's, Matt LaFleur, hopefully, and Nagy end up continuing to carry that torch. Less John Fox's, less Mike Malarkey's. Exactly. So yes, it looks like the quarterback position is as rich as ever, but it may be the guys who are leading them. Jared Goff couldn't perform with Jeff Fisher. Very few can. Um, So you give him a Sean McVay and he looks great. And I think we're getting more of those, less of the old Brian Schottenheimer type hires. The most productive fantasy tight ends are on the following teams. Kansas City, Philadelphia, New England, the teams that leverage analytics more than other teams. The forward-thinking, innovative coaches are targeting their tight ends more than other teams. And as we get this incremental improvement of coaching, game planning, play calling, that should help to propel a tight end renaissance fueled by the talent infusion that began in last season's draft. Do you agree? I agree that a renaissance may be coming. I'm not sure that it's this season. Uh, I think there's kind of an ugly drop-off at tight end after the first six or so. The Hunter Henry injury really threw a wrench in things. I'm kind of still devastated about that one. Um, But I think that there's a fairly sharp drop-off. And when you miss out and it gets to... From Greg Olson to Jack Doyle, that drop-off? Yeah, and Doyle, I think, okay, he can be a low-end tight end one for you, but I I think that you're going to be at a weekly disadvantage with the the Doyles and the Burtons, and I think that it's going to be hard to find those late-round guys. I I think Jordan Reed is very interesting. Uh, He was going in the fourth round last year. Now he's going in the ninth round, and it seems like he's healthier. Obviously, there's risk there, but we know he's a very talented player. Um, And then there's guys like Eifert and Ricky Seals-Jones who are interesting, and Kittle, who also is very interesting. But these guys have target competition, and they're not going to be reliable producers. And you're going to get outscored by the teams with Ertz, the teams with Delaney Walker, the teams with Gronk. And it it could end up being a hole in your lineup. If you wait, you take a guy like Jordan Reed. He doesn't end up playing. Hopefully you get a Vernon Davis. But the issue is finding replaceable production there if you don't get one of the top guys. We love Kittle, but Garrett Selleck is target competition. We love David Njoku, but Seth DeValve is target competition. We love OJ Howard, but Cameron Brait is target competition. We might be a year away from the tight end renaissance coming into full bloom. That makes sense to me. So who of all these tight ends you mentioned, who's your favorite late round tight end? Honestly, I I like getting a little ratchet and taking risks. So it may be Eifert just because I think that there's... Yes. He's back, man. He was cleared. He's been cleared. Right now, fantasy gamers are dismissing Tyler Eifert as if 
He's hurt. He's not hurt. He's fully healed. He's fully healed from the back surgery and the shoulder surgery and the knee surgery and the elbow surgery. The Bengals need somewhere to throw the ball. John Ross is now being assumed to take on targets. They don't have LaFell anymore. Obviously, AJ's a target monster. But when we talk about Kittle, um, he's got to deal with the other tight ends. He's got to deal with McKinnon. He's got to deal with Garcon, with Goodwin. When we talk about Tampa Bay and O.J. Howard, there's Brait, there's Godwin, there's Deshaun, there's Evans. Adam Humphreys! Adam Humphreys! The specter of Adam Humphreys close to the line of scrimmage. So there's some significant roadblocks for many of these guys, and I don't see any of that there for Eifert. I see Eifert as a plug-in play and maybe even a flex option if you draft him as your tight end too because the targets are going to be there for him. They need him. Tyler Eifert gives me an erection. I call it the Eifert Tower. Right? Right? Right. Right? If healthy, erection. If healthy, erection. It won't last too long, but if healthy, erection. Now, rapid fire, contrived dichotomy. The best game in town. The only game we play on Rotor Underworld Radio anymore. But it is our signature game. Rapid fire, contrived dichotomy. Mike Brody, Carson Wentz, or Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson. Mitchell Trubisky or Derek Carr? Trubisky. Do you want Nagy or Gruden running your offense? Well, do you want upside or stability? Do you want the guy you know, or do you want the nebulous upside that is Mitchell Trubisky, the guy that has one quality season on his entire football resume? Only one team out of 12 wins a fantasy league, so let me go with the risky upside. Well, in most formats, you want to draft Mitchell Trubisky anyway. In a traditional format that allows free agent pickups, you draft Mitchell Trubisky. If he's terrible in week one, you just pick up another quarterback and you stream. Correct. In a draft master best ball league, you draft Mitchell Trubisky for the upside and you also draft Derek Carr in the next round. For the stability. Because you need multiple quarterbacks in a draft master format. So in either format, you're drafting Mitchell Trubisky before Derek Carr. Correct. Leonard Fournette or Dalvin Cook? Dalvin Cook. Give me the guy who catches passes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love agreeing with you. The show is going really well. Darius Geis or Jordan Howard? You already know it. It's Darius Geis. Just confirm it. Just give us the confirmation. Lock it in. Darius Geis, of course. I think there's a better chance that Geis steals Chris Thompson's pass game involvement, or at least a share of it with the injury news and everything, than Jordan Howard stealing a lot of pass game snaps from Cohen. Bingo. I'm going to give you a correct answer sound effect. It's rapid fire, so you shouldn't be giving these elongated responses. But that in-depth response was just so insightful that it necessitated a correct answer sound effect. Anybody can pick between two players, so I like to give at least a little sentence or where my head's at. Okay, Royce Freeman or Ronald Jones? Oh. Yes. Opposite ends of the running back profile spectrum. 
I'm going Ronald Jones. I love how young he was when he started kind of being a workhorse. Uh, his past game involvement is obviously a concern, but the USC offense didn't target running backs very frequently. I think Jones is interesting. I think Freeman is very interesting, too. With, with my drafting strategy of zero running back, these are the type of guys that I'm targeting after I get my four wide receivers. So I'm happy to take either of them, but the Bucks got to pick between the two of them, and they picked Jones. And I think because of the draft capital invested, his competition with Peyton Barber, who I think is a dud, I think that Jones is likely to see pretty good volume. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers also had the choice of Ronald Jones or Darius Geis, and they chose... I know. Ronald Jones, nullifying your argument. Mike Brody, you are wrong. Marlon Mack or Jamal Williams? I'm taking Marlon Mack. I think Jamal Williams is worse than Aaron Jones. Thank you. Uh, Mack may still be the best runner on the Colts. I don't think there's any chance Jamal Williams is the best rusher on the on the, on the Packers. Both of these offenses project to be high-volume, prolific offenses with a healthy Andrew Luck. Yes, assuming Andrew Luck is healthy because there is a 100% chance he will be healthy and under center in week one. We told you this months ago. And if you're drafting the most expensive running back in the ambiguous backfield, you go with the running back with the most upside and the higher likelihood of keeping his job for the entire season, and that is Marlon Mack. Between the tackles, grinders, Isaiah Crowell or Marshawn Lynch? I'm going Marshawn Lynch. I'm just not really a Crowell guy, not a Jets guy. Uh, These are not the type of running backs that I draft. I want guys who are catching passes, but if forced to pick between the two, give me Lynch. Lynch still has juice left. Yes, he does. There are training camp reports coming out saying that Marshawn Lynch looks explosive. And I'll take that for what it's worth. Not a lot, but a little bit. And what's worth more is his juke rate on playerprofiler.com was number two in the NFL. And he was also number two in total evaded tackles last season. So Marshawn Lynch is still eluding tackles and he's still breaking tackles. And if he's doing that, it's just a matter of time before he breaks long runs and scores touchdowns. Is he going to be pulled off the field for Doug Martin? I don't know if Doug Martin makes the team. I think the number two running back in Oakland is Jalen Rashard. I think that Jalen Rashard will be the Chris Thompson to Marshawn Lynch's Darius Geis in Oakland. If we're comparing Gruden brothers offenses. I, I agree with your take. I think Doug Martin has been inefficient and useless the last two years, but it just seems that the Raiders like him and may force his way onto the field. Unfortunately, we've seen running backs force their way onto 53 man rosters before and then be marginalized quickly. Remember Mike Gillisley last year? I do. So Doug Martin could be Mike Gillisley without the week one touchdowns. And what's that worth? Nothing. Ty Montgomery or Giovanni Bernard? Um, I'm taking Ty Montgomery. I think that Gio isn't sure to get the third downs. The Bengals, for whatever reason, Gio was one of their best offensive players last year. They didn't want to include him. Um, Montgomery may come out hot with Aaron Jones suspended because I think he's better than Jamal Williams, but I'm still taking Aaron Jones in the Green Bay backfield. So we talked about Alshon Jeffrey earlier. I'm assuming you would rather have Demarius Thomas over Alshon Jeffrey? Yes. I think that he's going to have a more significant market share. Brandon Cooks or Sammy Watkins? Ooh, the former Bay of the Bay in Los Angeles 
or the current bay of the bay in Los Angeles? It depends if I'm on the clock with the pick and both of them there. When they're equal, I prefer Cooks at their ADP. I'm taking Watkins. That was a real scorcher of a take there, Mike. What I mean, I think Cooks is going to split with Cup and with Gurley and with Woods, and I don't think that he's going to have a huge market share. I think there's a chance that he's the most consistent wide receiver on the team. Obviously, both of them are fighting for uh, targets, but Watkins is going much later. So I actually see an opportunity where Watkins could end up on some of my teams. I don't see myself taking Cooks where he's going. I think he's going too high. But you agree there's a good chance Sammy Watkins outscores Brandon Cooks in fantasy football this year. Yeah, I think there's a decent chance. There, there, there's the take. There, you see the colonel pops. Glad I could excite you. Cameron Merritt, speaking of excitement, ooh, these two receivers. Cameron Meredith or Tyrell Williams? I love them both. Ooh, yes, right, right, right? The issue is target share, and I think that Tyrell Williams with Hunter Henry out has an easier path to getting more targets. So I'd probably take him straight up. But Meredith is a stud, and one injury, and he could be doing a lot. Obviously, there's Traquan Smith there, too. So he's got a lot of competition, but both of these guys are good players that with volume could do really well. Here's the nuance take with this dichotomy. In a Draftmaster Best Ball League, you go Tyrell Williams because you lock in the predictable target share with the splash play upside that best ball leagues give you. In a traditional league with waiver wires and lineup setting, you go Cameron Meredith because he has more upside, and if he pops in week one, you have yourself an every week starter. Possible. I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. Because uh, with Michael Thomas and Kamara <laughs> dominating... I feel like you're chop-blocking me on every take now. We agree on 90% of the takes. I got to give you shit. The show has been so uneven. One of the most volatile, uneven shows in Roto Underworld Radio history. You got to catch my breath after that roller coaster descent. Devin Funchess or Randall Cobb? I'm taking Cobb. Uh, I think that at worst, he's the third option in their offense behind uh, Adams and maybe Jimmy Graham, but I don't really believe in Jimmy Graham anymore. Funches has to deal with DJ Moore, Olsen, Christian McCaffrey on an offense that probably won't pass that frequently. Um, I like Funches. It just seems that he's likely to be out-targeted. Doesn't sound like you do. You just love Randall Cobb, I guess. I don't love Cobb either. Oh, God. Then you definitely don't like Funches. What are you, Pete Carroll now? Saying you love Devin Funches and then not ever drafting Devin Funches? God damn it. I owned a lot of Funches last year, let me tell you. Well, yes, of course. Cortland Sutton or James Washington? I'm taking Cortland Sutton. I'm like enamored with Sutton's athleticism, playing safety as a freshman. Let's go! Let's do this! I think he's an Alshon Jeffrey type clone. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is... Alshon Jeffrey. Boom. Lock it in. You mentioned Jordan Reed earlier. If you had to make a decision between NFC East move tight ends, you go in Evan Ingram, you go in Jordan Reed. Ingram goes sooner. I'd take him first. Uh, but I do think that Reed, if he's healthy, has more upside. He doesn't have to deal with Odell and Shepard and Barkley. Uh, so I like both of them. But I'm going with Evan Ingram. Final contrived dichotomy, O.J. Howard or David Njoku? I like O.J. Howard more as a player, so I'm going with him. Njoku, I think he's going to split snaps at tight end. He's got to deal with Landry. He's got to deal with Josh Gordon and all those running backs. 
I don't see the Njoku breakout happening this season. Njoku's also been dropping passes in practice. Yes. And I'm more concerned about practice drops than I am drops in games. Drops in games happen. Catching a football in an NFL game is really hard. Catching a football in practice, not as hard. These guys throw so much harder than you can even imagine. I am good friends with... His name is Tyler Hansen. He played quarterback at the University of Colorado. And I played on a flag football team with him. And he throws so hard. It's like a missile that is aimed at you. You see these guys drop passes and you're like, how do you drop that? Then you're trying to catch it and you can barely even see it. Now, what if you're Travis Kelsey catching a pass from Patrick Mahomes over the middle? He'll be between two defenders. How easy is that? Goes off his hands. They call it a drop nonetheless. Yes. We've talked a lot about target share today. Give me one player whose target share at the end of the season will likely stun most fantasy gamers. Um, I talked about Landry. I think he's a guy who could stun people. I think Edelman, when he comes back, I also mentioned him. Knows wouldn't I would not be stunned by a high target share for Jarvis Landry. I would not be stunned by a high target share for Julian Edelman. Come on, go deeper. And I also think that Goodwin could surprise a lot of people. I think Marquise Goodwin going around like wide receiver 40. There and I think he, he could be the most targeted receiver on the 49ers who should be a good offense. Target the guys with good coaches. And good quarterbacks. And good quarterbacks, exactly. And explosive athleticism. Exactly. There it is. It's easy. Marquise Goodwin checks all these boxes. If you're not drafting Marquise Goodwin at his current ADP, you are doing it wrong. That was a good take team up where you laid the groundwork for the Marquise Goodwin hot take. And then I came in and I just added that final brulee crust with my blowtorch. I love creme brulee. Me too. We haven't talked about Kenyon Drake, but I'm assuming you think Kenyon Drake's overrated. Um, I don't draft a lot of him. I think that he played well last year, but he's not going to end up on a lot of my teams. He had three good games. I mean, it with high volume, um, but he was effective when he was given the ball. The problem with Kenyon Drake is the presence of Frank Gore, like it or not. Fantasy gamers don't want to hear it. Totally. But Frank Gore is there. Frank Gore is a guy that's there. He is a guy that's there, and he is set up to be the ultimate fantasy spoiler. Yes. Vulturing touchdowns, vulturing carries. Other than Frank Gore, give me one more fantasy spoiler. Okay, I have three that are probably going to annoy me this season. Oh, yes! One is Jamal Williams, because if he steals from Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery, I'm not going to be too happy with him. Uh, I can imagine Carlos Hyde vulturing touchdowns and being annoying. Actually, Jamal Williams is a vulture worth drafting. Yes. And then Hyde and Doug Martin. Oh, I forgot about Carlos Hyde. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is going to make me furious. I own so much Nick Chubb in Dynasty. Oh, I'm already mad and it hasn't even happened yet. So give me one player that you think will break out this year late. Like I'm a truther for John Brown. Who are you a truther for? A player that is yet to be fantasy relevant on a regular basis that you think this is the year. This is finally the year for this guy. Who do you qualify for truther status on? You know what a truther is, right, Mike? Yes, I know what a truther is. I have to pivot. I misunderstood how the question was written up. So I thought it was somebody who's going to break out late in this season. Oh, my God. We reached another peak of the roller coaster where it was euphoria, and now we're back 
in the trough again. We're solving problems today. We found you a new mattress. You can't complain. That's true. What we accomplished with Mattress Talk vastly exceeds any of our fantasy football advice. Yeah, we're a mattress podcast. Okay, so I was going to say Chris Godwin, who I absolutely love, but we're going to pivot away from him because it's not true through status. So I'm going to go back to Paul Richardson. Yes. I'm so happy to to run back and forth across the front yard with you, holding flags with Paul Richardson's face on it. I'm there. For anyone that's considering drafting Josh Doxson in the double-digit rounds when Paul Richardson is still available, let me just give you a couple numbers. Breakout age for Paul Richardson, 18.4. Do you know who else had an 18.4 breakout age? Stephon Diggs. College dominator, 46.3%, 91st percentile. Guess who else? had a 93rd percentile college dominator rating. That's right, Amari Cooper. Paul Richardson runs a 4-4. Paul Richardson's burst score, 126.6, 80th percentile. He also has an above-average agility score. He's athletically comparable to Emmanuel Sanders, and his college resume is comparable to Amari Cooper and Stephon Diggs. So that's the player you can get in the later rounds after Josh Doxson is off the board on the same team as Josh Doxson and happens to be a player who will outproduce Josh Doxson this year. Tell me, what am I missing? Oh, I know. Nothing! I'll get you out here on this. One very, 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 very bold prediction. I'm talking very. You're thinking very. I'm thinking very, very. Just when you thought you couldn't vary more, I want you to go further. More vary. Very, very bold prediction for 2018. I hope this isn't too bold for you, but I'm going to go with Tariq Cohen finishes his top 12 running back. I think that Nagy has a desire to use him in a Sproles type role where he's going to get targeted frequently. He'll have over 100 something rushes. And I think that he has an opportunity to outscore Jordan Howard and finish as a top 12 running back. You heard it here on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Apex Fantasy League's founder, Mike Brody, believes Tariq Cohen will outscore Jordan Howard and PPR. And I love it. Tariq Cohen will outscore Jordan Howard and PPR. And I love it. And that's the show. I like to ask people if they've, you know, what lessons they learned from last year to this year. What's yours? So I think there's so much of an advantage to be gained from taking how other people feel about players. And I think last year, a lot of people won championships because owners were sick of Todd Gurley. They didn't want to draft him. They were upset. They were disappointed by him. Yes, Todd Gurley fatigue. Same thing happened with Hopkins last year. Hopkins was going in the third round last year. And it wasn't anything that he did. He didn't have quarterback play. Gurley was in a bad system with Jeff Fisher. So don't let yourself get down on players. When everybody else is down on them, you're getting a bargain. And it's something that fantasy players can take advantage of. Or like Amari Cooper isn't good at football, even though all he's done for the last eight years, with the exception of 2017, is prove that he's one of the best wide receivers in football. How about Allen Robinson? We've somehow forgot about Allen Robinson, who did the impossible 
achieving 1,400 receiving yards with Blake Bortles at quarterback, one of the great achievements in the history of the wide receiver position. That's been lost in the sands of time, Mike Brody. Like that? Like that? Like that? Totally. And we can take it a step further with our tight ends, with Jordan Reed and Eifert. Um, those guys we know can produce, they're not too old, and with the injury discount, we're getting a pretty good price on them at a position that's pretty weak. It sounds crazy, but I'm more apt to chase the tight end that looks like Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski, and that guy is Tyler Eifert. I, I can see where you're coming from. I think that Reed has already outscored Gronk and Kelsey before. God, I can't believe that. See, even I forgot about that. See, I just fell for it. I just fell into the trap. I forgot about those seasons that Jordan Reed actually outproduced Rob Gronkowski, that that happened. You're thinking very. I'm thinking very, very. The former Bay of the Bay in Los Angeles or the current Bay of the Bay in Los Angeles. There, there's the take. There, you see the colonel pops. Okay, we got the sweet spot. I mean, George Washington's head is jutting out in a way and ahead of the other three presidents. And the beef ensued. PPR, 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 PPR. Okay, we got the sweet spot. Pushing the button on Ezekiel Elliott in the three hole over David Johnson in PPR. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm here for. Talk about the quintessential best ball receiver in fantasy football. His name's Tyler Lockett. <laughs> what do you do, Mike Brody? What do you do? I think this is a really interesting time for the first round with how many people are drafting running backs early. Over and 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 over. And over and over and over and over again. This is fantasy football. This isn't pick my favorite player. Yeah, I think that you have a strong opinion on Ronald Jones, and I wanted to see where you stand on it, so I think it would be good good talking grounds. It's not possible. It's not possible. I tailor most of the things I know to PPR. So when I talk about the first round and drafting wide receivers versus running backs, it's almost always going to be in a PPR context. We need to get this news to Mike Pierce. Someone go to Twitter. Someone get on the phone. Send an email. Get this information from Christopher Harris to Mike Beers before Mike Beers does another fantasy draft. Okay, we got the sweet spot. A murderer's row, not a murder of crows, because a group of crows is called a murder. Adam Humphreys! Ooh! Adam Humphreys! Ooh! Mariota, 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 Mariota! Ooh! Close your eyes. In your mind's eye, you can see Jerron Brown being the number one waiver wire target after week one. I love Jerron Brown, but he ain't no Tavon Taylor. Ooh. If someone dropped out of the sky, rappelled down, it said, Mike Brody, a running back rush for 2,000 yards this season. Name him, or we're taking you up to this helicopter. What would you say? What's the name you would utter? Ezekiel Elliott is the odds-on favorite. Thank you very much!
That's why he's on the Mount Rushmore. You got to draft the ballers sometimes because ballers ball. So you're going Odell Beckham Jr. over DeAndre Hopkins? No. So you're going Odell Beckham Jr. over DeAndre Hopkins? No. So you're going Odell Beckham Jr. over DeAndre Hopkins? No. So you're going Odell Beckham Jr. over DeAndre Hopkins? No. What? You just set this whole thing up to agree with me? There's so many kinds of wrong on this. That was the worst take in the history of Roto Underworld Radio. Ballers ball. If I were him, if I were his wife, if I were his agent, I would be driving to Foxborough right now. Ballers ball. Christopher Hogan on the other. And Gronk Show, let's not forget that. Once we move out of the first round, hey, 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 oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. That's what I'm here for. Check the College Dominator on playerprofiler.com if you don't believe me. But if you listen to this show, you probably believe me because the Podfather tells the truth. No. There, I think Pete Carroll is lying. Okay, we got the sweet spot. Then I would draft a Jarvis Landry and six of those to balance out my exposure. Yeah. Ooh. Because Darius Geis is so damn good at taking screenplays to the house. Ooh. So you're not allowed to be surprised when Taewon Taylor outscores Corey Davis in fantasy football this year. See how I did that? I didn't say it was going to happen. I just said you're not allowed to be surprised, which allows me to come back over the top with a told you so six months from now. That's how you give a take on a fantasy football podcast. Mike Brody, Mike Brody, Mike Brody, Mike Brody. That's what I'm here for. I don't know why I'm so mad at you. All we're doing is agreeing right now, and I love you, and you're a big supporter of the site, and I'm a big supporter of your site. Why am I mad at you? That doesn't make sense. That's what I'm here for. This show is going really well. I'm really enjoying myself. That's what I'm here for. My parents often dressed me up and had me dance in front of people when I was younger. My parents often dressed me up. You're a performer. Well, that was a lie, but you believed it. So it's not exactly nap time. You don't know what Tufted Needle is? I was like sleeping on needles. That sounds awful. I wasn't exactly prepared to be quizzed on my mattress. This Mansion Lifestyle segment's been ruined because you didn't read the show sheet. That's what I'm here for. That the memory foam beds cause cancer. But what about my penis? Good combination of being soft and firm. But what about my penis? It has bounce and support. I like that. Tyler Eifert gives me an erection. I call it the Eifert Tower. If healthy, erection. If healthy, erection. Yes, I know what a truther is. Show's going really well, Mike. Yes, I know what a truther is. Does it emit VOCs? Yes, it does, and you're going to die. Just kidding. You're welcome, Tuft and Needle. I just sold you like 10 mattresses. <laughs> we're solving problems today. We found you a new mattress. Yeah, we're a mattress podcast. Mike Brody, you are wrong. I love creme brulee. Tell me, what am I missing? Oh, I know. Nothing! I love creme brulee. I am good friends with Tyler Hansen. He played quarterback at the University of Colorado. Then you definitely don't like fun. Just, what are you, Pete Carroll now? I love creme brulee. 
If you're not drafting Marquise Goodwin at his current ADP, you are doing it wrong. Yes, I know what a truth is. You're a nerds guy? I'm a nerds guy. God damn it. It's going so early. I'm more interested in someone like Greg Olson a few rounds later. I think they're similar players. Greg Olson, again, has a profile, body type, and skill set closer to Gronkowski and Kelsey. And if I'm investing a late third, fourth round pick, I need that tight end to be the focal point of the offense in the red zone. Because I think Dallas Goddard, in the long run, is a better player. Not for fantasy football necessarily, but because he has the size and the blocking capability, that that's the player I chase. I'm not going to have any Trey Burton on my teams. Ertz is as reliable as they come. And I think he has less competition for targets than Kelsey does. And Kelsey goes before him. You are doing it wrong. Yeah, we're a mattress podcast.